Alright, welcome back to another episode of Standing Room Only. We have a very special guest today. Um, I know we've been bringing on a lot of our close friends and personal connections, but uh, this one's family for one of our co-hosts. So um, we're bringing on Scott Simmons today. Scott's had a really successful career in hockey thus far, playing four years with the Belleville Bulls in the Ontario Hockey League, graduating um, and playing four years as a dual sport athlete. We'll get into that as a hockey and rugby player at the University of Guelph and now testing his skills over the pond in Manchester, playing in the EIHL. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Should be a nice time to spend together here on, online. Good to see you. Yeah, it's exciting to have you on. Um, obviously, Scott's been a fan of the show since, uh, you know, since we started, uh, and he's followed closely, um, or at least he says he has. Um, but before we get started, uh, just another really quick and exciting announcement. Um, we're excited to announce our first sponsor of the podcast. So, uh, this week's episode is brought to you by My Boo Candles. Uh, their hand-poured, all-natural beeswax candles come in bubbly, naughty, and hourglass molds. These candles' aesthetics and scent will help make your space more inviting. For the month of April only, you can use the discount code SRO15 to get 15% off your order. That's SRO for standing room only and the number 15. Search their Instagram at My Boo Candles or order at myboocandles.myshopify.com. Tweak however you feel is comfortable. Yeah, our listeners should go check them out. Um, they're a really cool company based out of Toronto, Ontario. Uh, I know them from Guelph, and they've got some really you know cool and unique kind of candle molds. Uh, they're really fun. So go check them out. Um, but let's get right into it. Scott, uh, tell us a little bit about where you are right now and what's going on. Uh, so right now I'm in Nottingham um, in England. Uh, just got here on Saturday and about three weeks ago. <laughs> three weeks ago it was actually that they said uh, they were going to try to do a shortened season so um, just over here for a five week stint uh, playing for the Manchester Storm doing kind of bubble format so pretty pretty neat opportunity yeah so uh, for our listeners that are tuning in uh, Scott's my brother um, so I, I know a lot about him I grew up with him um, so it's good we can ask him a lot of questions uh, and really pry to get the, the details but uh, yeah usually um, we just have our hosts on or our guests on and uh we go through their career, um, but today we're going to just have you on for the whole episode. Um, you're a big hockey fan, a big NHL fan, so we'll just talk about that, talk about current hockey, talk about your career too, um, and just get your take on everything. So uh, why don't we start with your career, and then we'll kind of get into hockey later uh, in current hockey, but let's uh, go right back to the beginning. So we're going to start minor hockey, um, you know, born and raised in Uxbridge, Ontario. Um, you actually started as a goalie in your first, you know, kind of rep season, if you will, or select season, um, and you, you had the nickname Scoojo after the great Curtis Joseph. Yeah, it was a pretty neat uh, thing. I got cut from the team as a player, and uh, they didn't have a goalie, so they just needed needed somebody. I guess the final cut got the chance to be the goalie, which I'm not really sure how that works, but at five or six years old, it probably doesn't matter too much who's in net. Honestly, I, I wasn't even as tall as the net, just kind of stood there and Hope the puck would hit me the odd time. And yeah, probably got five or six shots a game and made one or two saves. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so you grew up in Uxbridge and uh, played for the local team. When did you make the jump to AAA and kind of take hockey more seriously? Yeah, so I played, played. Uh, I guess I guess it was just A at that time and then AA up until I think I was 13, grade 7 or 8. And then I decided to go and try out for uh, – the team up in central Ontario for the central Ontario Wolves. Um, they had a historically bad season the year before I was kind of trying out. So 
a bunch of us from Uxbridge were like, let's take a chance and see if we can make it. And I think six of us from, from Uxbridge made the jump from AA to AAA in one year. So, yeah, it was probably around that time, 13, 12 or 13, that I started to get pretty serious about playing hockey, but still not too serious. I didn't really know <laughs> further aspirations uh, other than, oh, I want to be an NHL player, but I don't know how to get there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you were the captain there in Central for a, a couple of years. Um what was that like in those kind of, you know, your 15-year-old year, you know, getting scouted to the OHL, um, going to combines and stuff? What was that like, you know, being such a young age and kind of having some pressure on you to perform well? Yeah, you know, I never really put too much pressure on it. I didn't really know or expect to necessarily get drafted. Um, we didn't really have a good team, so we didn't have a chance to go to, like, the OHL Cup or um, some of those higher end tournaments. I think we did play in the Marley's tournament at Christmas time, but we, we didn't really expect to get too many scouts to our games compared to some of the other AAA teams. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a fun year. Like we, we had, uh, we, I don't know if we actually made the playoffs, but we were close. We were a close battle for the OMHA playoffs. So kind of tough when you don't make the playoffs in your uh, draft year, but uh, there's things like the under 17, which were, I mean, a lot of pressure. You actually kind of felt like people were watching for the first time and obviously some really good players. I remember like guys like Cody CC were standouts and that. And uh, yeah, like Nick Cousins was there. I remember like, all oh, these guys are the top guys in our age. And you just wanted to kind of see if you could compete with them. And then, you know, that they were going to make the jump to the OHL the next year. So if you could kind of keep up with them, then you probably had a decent chance of uh, getting noticed in the draft. Do you remember who went first overall in your OHL draft year? Yeah, yeah, it was Cadenacci, Daniel Cadenacci out of York Simcoe. Never heard of him. Interesting. Yeah. He was so good, actually. And, you know, he's still actually a good player. He, I think he got drafted maybe third round to the NHL uh, when it became our time to get, get drafted there. And then uh, I think he's actually still playing in Italy right now. So he's made a career out of it. I think he played some AHL seasons and then, probably decided you know what I'm going to try I think he had an Italian pass and he was like I'm going to go play overseas for a bit so yeah he's best player I played against in minor for sure and then what was your draft day like um were you kind of close by your phone knowing that you may get selected or was it something that was up in the air and you're just going to kind of um you know go with the flow on that day yeah well Matt this was before people had phones my age so we were sitting by the computer refreshing the thing trying to see what was going on um but yeah, I remember it was just a fun day. Like we, we didn't really know what to expect. I think Jay was there. We were just sitting around just kind of watching. And uh, I remember the reason I found out that I got drafted was because uh, the coach in, in Belleville called me, George Burnett, called me and said, hey, you want to be a bull? And I was like, of course, yeah, no doubt. So I ended up going fifth round, um, number 98 overall. So I was happy to crack the top 100. I was actually very surprised to crack the top 100. But yeah, don't look back too closely at who was drafted uh, later than me. I was uh, I was also in attendance that day. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, I was hanging out with Jay, and I remember you getting the call. So that was pretty cool to see. Just a little disclaimer there. I remember you being around all the time. So oh yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know you were there that day, but I know you were around a lot. Yeah, no, I remember Matt being. Uh at our house when, when that day was going on. And we didn't really know exactly what was going on, I don't think. Like, we were like, oh, just refreshing it and, and watching it. But then I remember you getting the call, um, which was pretty exciting. So, yeah, you uh, you didn't play in Belleville your first year. You played with the Wellington Dukes Junior A, um, which meant you had to move away from home at 16. 
Talk a little bit about that experience. Was that tough on you personally um, and what it was like to move to a small town of 1,700 people or whatever Wellington is? I think that's what the sign says, 1,700. You're right on. So, um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Honestly, I didn't – I skated a few uh, tryouts with, uh, I think, Stouffville, kind of the local t- teams here, like Bowmanville. Like, probably would have been living at home if I had made those teams. I mean, I might have made those teams, but Wellington was kind of the affiliate of Belleville. So it was kind of locked that I would go there. Um, they could have two 16 year olds. So it was me and another guy from Belleville that I think we were drafted like kind of fifth and seventh round or something. So we were kind of the next guys up after the guys that made their team. Um, Wellington was a very good experience for me. It was a small town, as you said, Jay, but it was like one of the most hockey passionate fan groups I've ever seen. Like it was I don't know the old Wellington Dukes barn like it was it was it was tiny but it fit like 700 people and everybody from the town came other than obviously the other thousand but pretty much uh, everybody came to the game yeah. and they tried to get in so it was it was a really cool experience um, moving away from home was probably a little bit challenging at 15 16 but honestly like you kind of just figure it out and and you have guys that are kind of ahead of you that uh show you the way and show you the ropes. So it was a really good experience for me playing for Marty, Marty Abrams there and uh, making some good friends. Yeah. What are some things that you kind of took away from that year moving forward to play in the OHL the next year? Um, what, what kind of things did you learn? Oh, I, you learned quite a bit and you learned it pretty fast too. I mean, I had never really played kind of like minutes like that, like fourth line minutes, kind of figuring out like where you fit in on a team. Um, I found it, like extremely valuable to uh, see kind of how a team works, how it functions, how kind of the penalty kill works. Cause when you're in minor, especially on a bad team, like it's like whoever's like roll everybody, get everybody out there. But uh, no, this was like more of a true experience into hockey and just seeing how you kind of could make a role for yourself and uh, in a program and kind of also how you can make a role for yourself in a community. So it was, it was very, very interesting. Um, I actually, I enjoyed, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a fourth liner. I've been, I've been my whole career. Yeah, time getting in on this first or second or third line. But, yeah, it was a great experience to learn kind of just uh, the basics that I needed and uh, how to play a really strong game. Yeah, and then what was the summer like after your 16-year-old year? You know, you made the jump to Belleville. Was that always kind of in the back of your mind that you were ready to make that jump? Or, or what was that like heading into training camp? Yeah, I wouldn't have really expected probably that I would have, like, I, I had a decent year in Wellington, not a lot of point production as I was playing kind of the, the role I was talking about before, but um, I wasn't expecting at all to make Belleville. I was kind of just, I mean, I, I wasn't really expecting anything. I was just kind of going with the flow and just seeing what happened. But uh, I remember going, so Wellington's camp opened up like early August. So we, we went back to Wellington and got a few skates there before going to Bulls camp. Uh, would have been the end of August or so and I remember being pretty nervous um, again in my second year still and my coach in Wellington was like asking me when I went to went there he's like are you gonna make Belleville this year and I'm like I don't know he's and that was kind of the first time I realized like oh maybe I could make Belleville this year you know like maybe that's a, a thing that might happen so yeah I wasn't really expecting it through the summer I know that I would have been training pretty hard trying to get better and stuff so yeah it ended up happening out that I, I made the team as a 17 year old and yeah um I mean it was awesome to make it as a 17 year old um like you said you didn't expect it the whole time um but 
what was it like making that jump to the OHL? Was it that much faster than junior A or was in, in much more serious or yeah, what's the difference there? That's a pretty big jump. I'd say, I mean, there's a lot, uh, I'd say there's a little bit older guys that you're playing against. And obviously the top end talent is, is probably quite a bit of a step above junior A. There's a few guys in junior A that are able to, are capable of playing at that level. But in the OHL, I'd say there's a larger majority of guys that, um, are either professional hockey ready or kind of just are a step ahead of you as a 17 year old. So yeah, it was a, definitely a, a wake up call just kind of seeing the, I remember the first exhibition games being like, Whoa, I'm going to need to get a little quicker here and just uh, need to be a little smarter. So yeah, it was, I mean, with any adjustment, you just kind of figure it out as you go. But um, I do remember the jump to, to Belleville being quite a, a big jump and a big leap. Yeah, and you spent four years there. Your last year as an overager, you were assistant captain of the team. So what was that transition like, you know, kind of being a wide-eyed 17-year-old making the team to all of a sudden fast-forward three years and you're kind of one of the leaders in the room? Yeah, so we, between there, I mean, I was always, as I said, kind of third or fourth line and getting the chance to play, but not playing a huge ton of power play minutes and stuff. But um, we had a really good team actually in my 19 year old year. So it would have been my third season. Um, we had guys like Malcolm Subin, Brendan Gauntz, uh, Alan Quine, uh, Tyler Gravak, some, some good NHL players on that team. And, uh, yeah, it was an awesome experience. One of the, one of the more enjoyable seasons for sure. Um, just like we would go on a 10 game win streak and then we'd lose one and be like, let's, let's do that again. And we'd win 10 games in a row again. Like it was just one of those years where, Things were things were really fun, and it was a lot of fun to go to the rink. Um, you were also like on the second line or whatever. Weren't you? you were first line maybe that year. Well, that at the, year. in the playoffs, yeah, they just they they realized that they needed me on the first line. So they, I think I got like they realized you were a goal scorer. That's right. I got about ten games on the first line and got like five points or something. So yeah, it was sweet. Um, but that was kind of the, yeah, as I said, that was kind of the first time I really really truly felt like I was like producing and kind of having a really good time playing hockey. Like I, I always loved it, but it was like, this is actually super fun. Like being able to like produce and help a team win. So yeah, from there, I just went into my OA year. I wasn't even going to, honestly, I wasn't going to play. About halfway through my 19 year old year, I was thinking about just stopping playing hockey and maybe focusing a little bit on rugby and my, uh, university career but uh i'm really thankful that uh things that went the way they did and i kept playing yeah so you finished your time there um and you mentioned some of the guys you played with um how about guys you played against um anyone stand out that was kind of you know uh, a little bit above everyone else besides besides connor mcdavid but it'd be so easy to go mcdavid for sure um I mean, yeah, of course, he did stand out. He was definitely, uh, as a, I think he was 15 or 16 when I played against him, and he was already one of the best players in the league. Um, but a guy that really stands out to me, because we had a seven-game series against him um, when he was in Barrie, and when we were in, I was in Belleville, was uh, Shifley, Mark Shifley. So he was he was supposed to be in the NHL that year, but they had a, I think it was a lockout, and something happened, and he was back, and he honestly just, like, dominated the game it was like <laughs> the puck was on a stick the whole game i don't think he went off the ice or it didn't feel like it anyway yeah and they had ekblad on that team too right ekblad athanasiu yeah some other good good players actually tyson fawcett who's uh he's actually here with me so we were reminiscing a little bit about that i was just like buddy can't beat us in seven games <laughs> 
Yeah, and you mentioned Shifley. Um, going back to your draft, he was in your draft class and was drafted after you, right? That's why I said don't ask me who was drafted after me because that uh, that hurts. It stings a bit. I think he was drafted. I think he was drafted seventh or eighth round. Yeah. Yeah. I so I mean, passed on him. It's definitely hard to tell how good or how bad a player is going to be at the age of fifteen. But I feel like they do a pretty good job. But that was a miss yeah. for a lot of teams. <laughs> Before we move on from your OHL career, I have a question for you. So on your Elite Prospects page, you doubled your penalty minutes from age 19 to your overage year. Any reason behind that? Were you Did you want to go out with a bang, maybe a couple misconducts, maybe a couple fights? Or or uh, was there any fights that stick out to you in your last year of your OHL or no? Well, that's the funny thing. I was going to say, I don't think I fought in my last year, but I did fight in the other years, so... Very interesting that I had more penalty minutes. I must have just maybe I got more ice time. That's probably, probably. the correlation there. <laughs> I would say that's the correlation. Or it was the heavy left shoulder with the A on it, and you were just thinking you're the tough guy out there. It could have been. I was just kind of trying to be the sheriff out there and patrol. But no, I think it was probably just the minutes. Um, and probably in the years before that, if I'd gotten a penalty, I wouldn't have been playing for a while. So it might have been a little <laughs> bit of that too. Right. But speaking of fights, I definitely remember a couple fights. I, well, one fight for sure. This guy I fought was Josh Brown, and he played for Oshawa. And now he's, I think he's on Ottawa, or he's been up and down a little bit with them. But he was six foot seven. And I, like, yeah, it wasn't good for me, but it was one that I'll remember for sure. Yeah, you had a fight in junior A too, right? As a 16 year old. Yeah, I got beat up bad. And the thing is, like, in junior A, you wear a cage. And this is maybe my, my, 10th game playing in the league and this guy I, went, I remember going to the net like kind of hard and the defenseman was like get out of here or something I just kind of gave him the shove back and he had his gloves off and was punching he had my helmet off before I had my gloves off <laughs> anyway yeah he like punched me so hard in the head that he broke his hand so I classify that as a win for myself so yeah after um I think it was after your last year in the OHL correct me if I'm wrong but you actually had the chance to uh, participate in Pittsburgh Penguins rookie camp slash a rookie showcase tournament between um was it four or six teams the leafs were there uh ottawa was there maybe calgary i think yeah so it was actually the year before my oa year so it was the september kind of going into that season and it was the rookie camp for them so yeah it was actually really neat i had no idea that was going to happen but i think it was probably based on kind of the success i had in the playoffs the year before um I got, I got called actually the night, I think it was the night of the draft. And uh, I was like, hello. And this it was a guy from Pittsburgh. And then he's like, yeah, you want to come to the prospects camp? I'm like, what? Wait, it was the night of the draft? It was like the night. Yeah, like the round two happened. And then it wasn't It wasn't like they were picking me first round or something. No, it wasn't. Like, no, but, I, but I, feel like that's, I feel like that's mean for a guy to do. Like call call a hockey player on the night of the draft and say you're from Pittsburgh Penguins. Like no, I think it was like the second day night. Like it was like right. after the draft happened. I had no hopes and aspirations of being drafted. <laughs> yeah. So then anyway, they uh, they flew us down to Pittsburgh. Um, we did kind of a couple days there. I think it was like uh, off ice testing. Got to like kind of be in the dressing room and stuff and see all the facilities. Uh, Dan Balsma helped me he spotted me on some chin-ups and uh to this day i'm like sorry man i didn't do you justice i didn't i think i got maybe 10 or something and he was like one more one more and i I don't think i got it so anyway um i sat in Sidney crosby stall 
that was one of the highlights of my career, my hockey career in, in general, in total. And uh, yeah, then we came, we actually flew to Pittsburgh and got on a bus and bus back to London, Ontario. And that's where the tournament was. And it was, yeah, four teams. It was us, Ottawa, Toronto, and Chicago. So played against some really, really good players there. Yeah, anyone that's uh, that you played with or against there that's you know playing in the NHL right now? Yeah, Morgan Riley was there with the Leafs. I want to say I played against him, but I didn't. He was too good for the tournament, and they were like they just kept him out of the games, and he just like skated by himself before the game. <laughs> so he was there, and I pretty much played against him. Um, on my team, there's a couple guys that are on Pittsburgh now, like Dumoulin. Um, uh, the goalies there, both of them. Well, Murray was there and got traded, I guess, to Ottawa. And then uh, Tristan Jari was the other goalie. So, yeah, there's two. Those two goalies were both there on yeah. the team. Was was Ole Matta there with you, too? Ole Matta, yeah. Uh, Scott Harrington, a little lesser known. There's some other guys. I probably just can't remember who they are. Yeah, so what was that like at the end of that experience? Did did they say anything about, you know, next steps or anything? Or was there any expectations or hope from you or no? Uh, not really. No, like honestly, I know kind of that they look for guys and they look for diamonds in the rough, and they were probably just giving me the chance. Um, I think like I was one of the first guys they called into the office after, and we're just like, "Hey, thanks a lot. You're we're gonna return you to your junior team." <laughs> but like I was totally expecting that, and and it was honestly just a sweet experience, one that I'll never forget. And it was nice to know that like I didn't, I could play at that level, and I could not uh, be a step behind those guys at all. So that's that's always a pretty neat experience to know that you can uh, stick it with those guys. Yeah. And you got some sweet gear too, right? Yeah. I got like some t-shirts and stuff. That's awesome. And then, uh, so what was the decision to move um, and play for Guelph? Was that a hockey decision, rugby decision, or, um, you know, were you getting recruited by both coaches there because you were a dual sport athlete for four years during your undergrad? Yeah. It's interesting. I was kind of thinking I was just going to play rugby, as I said before, and I was just going to kind of put the hockey aside and, I always had a passion for rugby and I think Jay and I were both under the impression and stuff that we'd go to Guelph and play there. So, yeah, I mean, it was uh, kind of a rugby decision, but then all of a sudden it became uh, you know what, they're going to give me the opportunity to play both sports. So that's definitely the school I want to go to because all the other ones I talked to wouldn't allow me to play both. So that was definitely huge. Yeah. And you mentioned um, we spent time obviously at Guelph together and that, that was awesome to be able to share some pretty cool moments with you. Um, but going through kind of just your, your five years at Guelph and, you know, four years playing both sports and then your fifth year, just hockey, um, you know, you, you won or you went to two nationals with the, the hockey team, which is pretty impressive. You won an OUA gold, uh, for rugby as well. Um, just talk about kind of what it was like to, you know, have two practices a day for a lot of the year, um, I remember there were stories um, you played a rugby semifinals, I think, and Kingston, or maybe it was even the finals. And then, you, you know, dad was there and he drove you right away down to the States to play an exhibition hockey game. And then I think he had to drive back. Like, it was just a bunch. Like, talk about the hectic schedule and, and what that was like. Yeah, I mean, I, I would go back and, and do that all over again, for sure. That was so much fun. Like, it was, it was uh, very, very hectic, as you said. But honestly, one of the most uh, enjoyable times in my athletic career for sure um so we would do the the deal was with my coaches that uh i would practice twice a day so once in the morning with hockey and then once at night for rugby and then the deal kind of also was that i would play rugby because it's a short season I, if i had a game or something con 
it was a conflict, I would play rugby over hockey. So it was honestly an amazing understanding between my coaches, uh, all, all, all great people and all very supportive of my career. Um, and I couldn't really thank them enough because most coaches like nowadays, even in like minor hockey say like, you can't play another sport. You can't do two things. But I mean, I think that's just kind of, I think it's kind of bogus, right? Like you should be able to do kind of whatever you want and, uh, whatever you find passion, uh, joy in and passion in. So I was really thankful to be able to do that. Were there many other ex-OHLers on your team at Guelph? Like how common is that to go from the OHL to the Canadian University Hockey? It's pretty common. Like I'd say probably if I had to put a percentage on it, it would probably be 70% OHL guys. And that's not saying every single one of those 70% was a regular OHL guy, but they played in the OHL at some point. So it was pretty typical that there was some OHL experience with the guys, but obviously either junior A or OHL for sure. And, and both routes were, were fine. And both routes, you could, uh, you could make it at that level for sure. For sure. And then uh, I have a question on your OUA gold for rugby too. So correct me if I'm wrong, but that game went to penalty kicks, right? Did you get the opportunity to kick and did you make it? I did not get an opportunity to kick. I was actually super injured um oh really yeah it was not a great play by me i mean this was kind of part of that hectic schedule was like i i played a hockey game the night before in uh uit and took a like a brutal charlie horse and obviously like that's the worst nightmare for someone that's got a game the next day is to get a charlie horse um but hey like i know it was a gold medal so i was like i'm gonna play i feel pretty good um obviously it hurts but i'll take couple things to get me through this and then uh ended up just like in the probably 60th minute or so of the 80 minutes of the game just like I honestly couldn't even walk like my it was called well now looking back I knew it was a hematoma so it's like so much swelling that like your leg is just like basically immobile and and very very uh risky toward your health so anyway I didn't get a chance to kick Luckily, my teammates hit that, uh, hit a few kicks, and I've never seen something like that where they do drop goals, drop goal kicks to decide who wins the championship, but we came in on the right end of that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, going back to kind of the hockey time at Guelph, um, you were also the captain for three years, I don't think we've mentioned. Um, what was that like to kind of have that leadership role for quite a while, quite a long time when it comes to, you know, a university career? Um, and I'm going to speak firsthand here. You know, you left quite an impact on that program and, and yeah, just talk about your time there and kind of the whole, the whole scene. Yeah. I I mean, I didn't expect to be the captain in my third year. I think that's kind of, it's typically pretty early to get it. Like you usually are getting it uh, in your fourth year, your final year or whatever. And then I just kind of stayed. So they were like, uh, we got to give it back to him uh, when he comes back. So yeah, I was able to be the captain for three years. Um, and I just, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's not always the easiest thing to do. Um, it's not always easy to, uh, make people your friends and, uh, make everybody happy, but, uh, I, I enjoyed the responsibility of doing that and, um, obviously know that it's a great honor to be named a captain, um, by your coaches and then also be kind of named captain in the room itself too. Um, when the guys kind of approve you as the captain, so. Yeah, it was a neat experience. I, I I look back pretty fondly on that time, and and uh, I'm thankful for all the guys that kind of came alongside me too. I, there was lots of guys that were leaders there, and uh, 
it's easy to lead a group that really wants to win. For sure. And then another question on your career during your OUA is you got the chance to play for Team Canada in the 2018 World University Olympics. Is that right? Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting one. It's uh, it's all university players, obviously. Um, and then what happens is I think it's every two years, I want to say, um, they throw a tournament on somewhere and uh, every two years it rotates kind of between the leagues and the CIS. Um, so it happened to be the OUA in my third year at Guelph. So I was able to play and yeah, I was in Kazakhstan. So like what a neat experience that was. <laughs> Never thought I'd go to Kazakhstan, but it was actually pretty interesting uh, country. Yeah. So who recruited you? Like how did those conversations start and when did you know that you're going to be able to go overseas to represent Canada for that? Um, the recruitment process, I don't, I remember there being kind of talks about it before Christmas, just like, we didn't really know what it was, honestly. Like, it was like, what is this? And how do we, how do we get involved? Um, it actually was the Queens coach that uh, was doing the, he was the coach of the team that year. And uh, he kind of just reached out to a bunch of guys and then we had like a Christmas training camp. So I made the team out of that. And uh, I mean, he, he wanted to recruit me when I was coming out of Belleville. So he had a, we had a bit of a relationship and uh, I think he liked the player that I was. So I was, it was a great opportunity. It was a lot of fun. We got a bronze medal in Kazakhstan. Yeah. Um, So quite the university career, um, a lot of accolades and stuff like that. Um, Did you know kind of as that was wrapping up, you know, in your fourth, fifth year, um, did you, always kind of think you know what i'm going to keep playing after this or was there the, the thought you know this might be it yeah i mean i, I want to say like oh i had huge plans to go play I, I, this whole this whole time i've been thinking like did i ever plan anything but not really <laughs> like it kind of <laughs> i kind of just kept playing kept enjoying it and then um in my fourth and fifth years i knew like at guelph i knew it was kind of a there was an opportunity to probably play some professional hockey and i really liked the idea of going to Europe. So I probably like became serious about looking at that avenue kind of in my fourth and fifth year at, at Guelph. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the process like for that? Did, did you had an agent for a European agent or whatever, right? Yeah. So I had a guy that kind of helped us. He knew some, he was actually, I think he was part British or something. So he kind of knew some teams and some GMs here um, in England. And uh, so he kind of connected me with a few guys and just kind of represented me. He wasn't technically an agent, but he just kind of put in a good word and just said he'd see me play in Guelph and stuff because that's where he's from or something. So he just put in a good word and, and got us that connection. And then from there, we kind of just had to figure out like which city, who we wanted to be in in England. Yeah. And obviously COVID's been a weird year, but what was the ro- routine like in your first year? How often are you practicing? How often do you play? And you know, where are the majority of your teammates from? Are they from North America? Or are they from Europe and, and the UK? Yeah, so it's uh, it's definitely mostly uh, North American players. Um, in this league, there's or last year there was thirteen. I think there was thirteen or fourteen imports allowed on each team, which is very high for Europe. Usually, it's like three or four, and then the rest have to be locals. Um, so we have about thirteen, fourteen Canadians or Americans. Sometimes the odd European, and then four or five or six Brits. So. Yeah, it's a pretty good mix that way. Like it's, I mean, it's really easy to come to this country and be able to speak English because that's what we should be able to speak. So, um, yeah, that was nice knowing that there would be uh, no language barrier uh, in my first year. 
like what was the routine like how many games do you play a week how many how many times are you on the ice yeah yeah so we pretty much went every day like we played i think we ended up playing about 50 games in a with covid so and we were almost at the end of the year so i think it was about a 60 game schedule um which was very high compared to 28 games at university and uh we would do a schedule kind of monday off tuesday practice wednesday off thursday friday practice and then typically the games were saturday sunday with the odd kind of midweek game too so yeah it was a really cool schedule it gave me the opportunity to see lots of stuff here in england um got a chance to drive around a lot and uh, obviously learn how to drive stick which on the wrong side of the road is definitely a neat opportunity um but yeah it was just like a really perfect schedule kind of for a guy that wants to play professional hockey and keep playing but also kind of wants to see the sights and do a little bit of tourist stuff so it was really really perfect yeah um and the town or city i guess you live in in england is called altrincham uh it's about 20 minutes outside manchester and uh, it's a really cute little town um they have a cute little market in the middle of it talk a little bit about that experience of moving to a new city a new country and um is that a little harder than moving you know to wellington don't quote me on this, but I think it just got named, Altrincham just got named like the top place to live in the UK, like something like that. Like it's like that kind of place right now. It's like just a little bump in market center. Like it's really just, as you said, it's kind of cute and it's just like really nice. It's just like a lot of fun. Everything's walkable. I mean, the weather's kind of rainy, but everything in England's a little rainy. So it's, it was fine. Um, and then, yeah, we're 20 minutes from Manchester. So you just get on the tram and you could be downtown. But that's kind of why I liked Altrincham is like you could live outside of the city and kind of not be downtown. I didn't really want to be downtown as a kid from a small town of Uxbridge. So, yeah, about 10 minutes to Old Trafford for any soccer fans on the on the podcast. So I saw a Manchester United game or two and a Manchester City game, like kind of in the hub of that. So as a sports fan in general, that was pretty neat. Yeah, so are you a Man U or a Man City? I'm a Man U, but I've been a Man U fan long, long before uh, I came here. So, yeah, yeah. So you're there now. Um, you're actually quarantining, kind of in a in a hotel. What's your day to day right now? Um, are you guys skating and you're in a bubble of some sort? Yeah, so we are technically in a bubble. Um, I said I said I got here Saturday, so been here a couple days now, and uh, we have to test every day. We kind of do. There's so in in England. I didn't know this, but they have their own self-testing kit that tells you within five minutes if you have COVID, and it's pretty amazing, actually. So you basically do the nose swab to yourself, but like you got to go pretty deep, and then you put it. Honestly, it's like chemistry. It's like you put it in this little thing. You like pull off the sample. It's like a little tube, and then you put a squirter cap on it so then you just kind of there's this little like chip it's it's amazing <laughs> and you squirt you squirt your sample into it and then it like fills up it like the the liquid fills this thing up and it like brings out a bright line it's like i think it's like a pregnancy test right. and it's like it shows you like so if one line goes you're good if the second line shows up then you have COVID. so it's like within five minutes so why don't we have something like that in Canada? Like, what? you know what, Jay? That's questions we should be asking other people, not not me, for sure. Yeah, but you need to get that in the NHL ASAP. It, it would be nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so that's a great overview um, of your career so far. And, and thanks for kind of taking us through that and the different stages of it. Um, really good to get your perspective on it. Um, but let's talk some about some current uh, NHL news. And, and one big thing this week is uh, something we've talked about on you know the last few episodes for sure uh, is the Buffalo Sabres. And finally, the Buffalo Sabres um, break their 18-game losing streak. Um, it was almost an NHL record, I believe, but they finally won last night against Philly. Uh, what do you guys think? about Buffalo being back in the win column. Yeah, well, it's funny. I was watching that game against the Flyers, and it was the exact same storyline as the game before they blew, where they're up three going into the third period. So you had to wonder if they're going to do it again. But um, no, they held on. Um, it's actually funny. I think the Flyers pulled Elliott and put in Hart, if I'm not mistaken, for that game again, and he played horribly. So um, I know we talked about that. But um, yeah, it's good to see Buffalo get a win. I don't know if you guys saw this last night as well with regards to Buffalo, but um, did you see Jeff Skinner had a breakaway without a stick? No, I didn't see it. It was hilarious, though. You should look it up. So he basically like uh, beat the D-man, got the stick hacked out of his hands, and he's skating down the ice kicking the puck. Um, they take it the other way and score. It's just the most Buffalo play I've ever seen. Yeah, so do you think Buffalo's going to uh, make a run for playoffs now at the end of the season? Late push? Hopefully they can start stringing more than just one game win streaks together. I don't know if we should be reporting on every game they win uh, moving forward. But um, no, I think they're going to be strictly in that hunt for first overall in the draft upcoming. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I think that obviously one game uh, is nice to win and get off that record uh, losing streak. But yeah, one game isn't uh, too much to write home about. So I think they're going to have a lot of work cut out for them. I still think they're going to be selling quite a bit at the deadline. And then obviously... As you said, Matt, they're probably going to be in the hunt for first overall too. So, yeah, I think that uh, things do not look better with one win in Buffalo. Have you ever had an 18-game losing streak? I have never been a part of an 18-game losing streak. I do not believe. I mean, maybe in minor, but I don't think it honestly would have gotten that bad. That's that's a lot of games. That's probably almost a full minor hockey season. <laughs> what about a winning streak? Definitely been a part of some winning streaks. I know, I remember clearly in Belleville, we won 10 games in a row, lost one, and then won 10 games again in a row. So, I mean, almost technically not, but almost a 20-game winning streak. So, a lot of wins, yeah. But uh, I cannot, I don't think 18 games again. Like, that's such a long streak. That's, I don't know even the dates on that. Maybe you guys know, but, like, that's a long long time to go with it winning a game even in the calendar <laughs> yeah it would have been like over a month or something right yeah their last win was february 23rd so over a month it's been tough yeah so moving on to another hot topic in the, the hockey community uh this past week um and, the, and that's the firing of longtime nhl ref tim peel uh he was caught on mic um saying you know that he was making a makeup call against one of the teams um and you know this is kind of a standard in hockey uh when one team gets a few penalties. Um, fans often, you know, kind of expect the refs to call uh, one against the other team. Um, but it, was it just, you know, the the fact that it was caught him saying deliberately on mic that he was doing the makeup call? Um, is that why people are kind of in such an outrage? Uh, and Scott, as a professional hockey player, what are your thoughts on kind of the whole standard of makeup calls in general? Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's bad in general. Um, Obviously, I'm still playing. I don't know how many referees are listening to your podcast, so I don't want to bash anybody. But I think like it's a bit, it's a bit discouraging as an athlete to ever have somebody who's officiating your game say, um, you know, like we're trying to change the outcome of this game. 
You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, right. it's discouraging to the fact that like these guys are getting paid to play, of course, but they're also trying to earn jobs. They're also trying to earn livings. I mean, sometimes <laughs> if a guy gets a penalty, that could lead to him getting benched. That could lead to him getting sent down. That, I mean, it just, it, it's a domino effect. And I just don't, honestly, I don't really love, I don't love that. Um, I would say that it, it, it's discouraging for sure. Yeah, you got to think it happens a lot more than just that one instant that got caught. Like he's been in the league for, I think they said like 20 years or so. So it's like, it's not his first time around the block. And you think about like, even in the pre-COVID world, like you picture a playoff game and you know, the home team gets a couple penalties in a row, you know, it's probably in the back of a lot of refs minds. Like, okay, the next one should go the away team here. We don't want to, we don't want the fans setting the the arena on fire, but uh, yeah, I've never really thought about it the way you said it. Um you know, like, yeah, it might just seem like a makeup call to that ref and, and to the fans, but to the guy who takes that penalty, it could be the difference between him getting, you know, less ice time and, and perhaps losing his job and losing his spot, which which is crazy to think, like, um, that something so small could, could kind of set that domino effect, like you said. So it's a good thing to kind of be aware of. Yeah, it's a risk, obviously. I don't know if you've been watching a lot of NHL, but there seems to be a little bit of a comeback in fighting too. Have you noticed that overseas? Do you think the game's, like getting a bit more physical um and do you think this is kind of a trend that will continue because you know like you think back to last year the game's a lot more turned at speed and skill but this year there's been a lot more of like the rough and tumble do you think that's going to continue or no that is interesting yeah i didn't actually think about that but i have seen more fights probably this year in the nhl than i can remember in the last few um i don't see fighting over here too often we had a little bit in our league last year but it's not uh necessarily a main main event um this league used to be known for that but it's no longer known for that um i wonder what that is in the nhl I, maybe you know something jay maybe you have an idea yeah i'm i'm wondering if it's just the you know all these back-to-back series with teams like you kind of get bad blood right um i know like sometimes you'd have a you have a game against someone and something happens well you might not see them for a month or two right into your next game you might forget it but now it's oh we're back tomorrow night playing you guys so um, I'm going to get a jab at you. That's, that would be my first thought. Um, love to get your thoughts too, Matt, if, if you think anything else. Yeah. But. I think like just teams are making a, a better effort. Like, I don't think it's like, you know, the stars that are really dropping the gloves so much as like, there seems to be like kind of the olden days, like just a rough, like a kind of rougher player, like looking to either set the tone or drop the gloves with anyone. Like you saw it. I forgot the guy's name on San Jose. Um, Every time they play Vegas, he gets called up to the lineup and is kind of like picking and prodding at Reeves, which is awesome to watch as a fan. So I hope it continues. I think the back-to-back definitely plays a big part of that. And um, I know we've mentioned this before, Jay, but I think overall, and Scott, get your opinion on it, but like from a fan's perspective, like the back-to-back games are a lot of fun, right? They create these like mini storylines throughout the year. It can be a bit like groggy to watch, you know, games like 30 to 60 in a regular NHL season but like when the Leafs are playing you know a rival in back-to-back nights it's pretty fun uh they've even been doing like three games now so uh do you think they'll continue that with the NHL I think it's a great opportunity for them to do that like it's it is more fun kind of to watch like a little bit of a baseball series um I think it also makes sense for travel costs and everything so I I would honestly probably think they're going to start doing that a little bit more um I know that it's probably not the best hockey on a back-to-back um the second game they're probably a little bit more tired and stuff so that's another thing um one thing i was thinking about for that fighting though it could also be 
that there's no fans, right? So teams might be looking for a little bit more of a motivational and a momentum-based edge. Um, I didn't think about that, but I, as you were talking there, Maddie, I thought maybe that could probably be something. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, speaking of the fans quickly before we go again, uh, the fans in, in England, I've been to a few games there, and it's quite the scene, a little bit like their soccer games or football matches. Um, talk a little bit about that. Is that a fun atmosphere to be in? And talk about your fans uh, in specific. Yeah, they definitely adopt that uh, European football uh, kind of crowd and atmosphere for sure. They bring drums. They bring chants. They're they're constantly singing. Like, it's, it's crazy. Um, it kind of makes me, like, wonder why North American fans don't do that. But I think it's more just, like, in the blood over here. And that's just kind of how they've been programmed. Um, they're diehard, though. Like, they'll pick a team and they'll just – that's life, right? So um, I would say for sure the fans are great. Social media is really, really active over here for fans. Like, they love it. And, uh, yeah, like the fans in, in Altrincham and Manchester are just – they're honestly really, really great. And it's a lot of fun to play there. Yeah, one thing that might be the difference between North American fans and the British fans is the uh, the – pitchers of beer that they allow you to take back to your seat with you that could be it yeah i remember seeing one guy with two pitchers and then 10 minutes later empty and he's going back i'm like oh my goodness you gotta get through the game (laughs) yeah one guy who's having a hard time getting through a game right now is uh philadelphia goaltender carter hart um we talked about him again the last couple weeks um really not having the year that anyone thought he would but scott i'd just love to get your uh thoughts on what kind of things can a young guy learn early in his career from having struggles uh, like this? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's shown that he can play in the league. He's shown that he can be pretty effective in that uh, for Philly. I think he probably came into the season with uh, quite the expectations for himself. Um, And obviously he hasn't reached those, but uh, I think honestly, he's going to be stellar for them. I think it's going to take some time now and just getting that confidence back, but he's obviously just going through a rough patch that, sometimes happens when you're a young guy in the NHL. Uh, not that I've ever done that, but even a young guy in any league, really, um, you just got to pay your dues and he'll be, he'll be fine. Yeah. It's tough, right? Cause they're still fighting for a playoff spot. So how long of a leash do you give him if he's just like, he's lost all of his confidence, right? And they have a pretty solid backup in Brian Elliott, who's been in the league for, I think as long as we've been alive, Jay. So um yeah no it's interesting it sucks to see carter hart it sucks for my fantasy roster having him on the team and you know declining all these trades one for one goalies throughout the year but uh hopefully you can turn it around it'll be interesting to see kind of like how they start dispersing starts between the two of them especially if elliot can keep you know playing well and stringing together some wins you speak of fantasy i think we could get right into our fantasy corner this week actually um like matt and i uh, scott's a big fantasy fan um you know, probably too much, to be honest with us. We're in a pretty competitive league with our family and some friends. And, um, you know, our mom complains a lot because at dinner, all we do is talk about fantasy. So, you know, it's, it's going to be fun to actually talk fantasy in a setting where we're allowed to because it's our podcast and we're allowed to do whatever we want. But, uh, yeah, we, we usually like to go through our studs and duds kind of right now in fantasy. Um, Scott, I think he's listened to the show before, so he, he knows that, and he might have brought his own. So let's get started there. But, Matt, do you want to kick it off with uh, your stud? Oh, it's been tough. Um, I think if I had to go with the stud this week, um, I'm going to go with the Arizona Coyotes defenseman Jacob Chikrin. He's been, like, getting a ton of minutes down there. Their team sucks, which is, like, kind of the only pitfall of 
uh, you know, his fantasy production, but like really solid player. Gets a few block shots, which is nice. I play in one of the stupid leagues that counts for block shots, but um, also been contributing a lot more goals uh, and getting on the power play. So he's my stud this week. Um, and I think he'll be pretty solid, like heading in uh, for the rest of the season too. Scott, do you have anyone that comes to mind on your roster or not? And uh, feel free to take a dig at Jay's, Jay's team if, uh, if you want on this podcast. Yeah, there are no studs on Jay's team. So we'll just stick to <laughs> we'll do his. Thought. We'll do his in the dad section. Um, no, I think uh, for me, there's a guy that I've just like come to kind of love for fantasy, and I just want him on my team right now, and that is Brady Kachuk. Like, he is doing everything. He's doing everything right now in Ottawa. Um, my league also does do block shots, and they do hits, and penalty minutes, which I know is sometimes a bit of a question mark. Why do you want to get penalty minutes? But anyway, he does all those things, and he – produces points so he is a stud for me in fantasy um there's another guy that i want to talk about but i don't want to steal jay's guy so he can go oh yeah we didn't talk about this before so maybe i have the same guy but i gotta go with the guy this week that we've, we've talked about him i think he was actually my dud a few weeks ago so maybe he should have been my stud and people should have bought him but uh that's Zabenajad. he uh he woke up kind of the last uh four games or so i think he he's up to 16 points this year but i think Maybe 12 of those have been in the last two weeks. So uh, he's been scoring at an unbelievable rate. He had two natural hat-tricks, I think, in the, in the span of yeah, a week and a half, which is crazy. Uh, it's nice to see New York actually kind of turn around because they have a pretty fun team. So um, the people who drafted Zabinijad so early are, are finally getting that payoff. That's who my guy was, by the way. So I'm glad I didn't steal your thunder. Um, I was also looking at the Rangers have the youngest team in the NHL, which is pretty crazy by quite a margin. So that's interesting. Yeah, their their future is gonna be their future is gonna be really good. I mean, they have Panarin, guys like Lafreniere, Kako. Like, yeah, they got a lot of really good young young guys there. Um, okay, let's move on to our duds of the week. Scott, why don't you start us off of this uh, for this one? Do you have someone that you know, kind of taking a tank? Don't take anyone off my team because the trade deadline's coming up. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Don't be talking about them. Um, yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on the mine. I was gonna talk about Hart a little bit. Just like, I mean, it's just. It's kind of devastating to see that for him. Um, and obviously another guy is Taylor Hall. But, yeah, I don't really have any, like, specific duds necessarily. So if you want to talk about it, Matty, if you got somebody lined up. Yeah, I don't know if this is a dud of the week or more of a dud of the season, but Brent Burns has been absolutely horrible this year. I know, like, San Jose as a team has just not been great. And, like, they're definitely on the decline after watching them kind of dominate for the last decade, really. But, uh, yeah, he's been tough, uh, not really scoring that much. I think he's, like, minus 15 on the year. And uh, anytime I refresh my fantasy app and the Sharks have been scored on, I think Burns is on the ice. So he's been killing me this year, and uh, hopefully he can turn it around. I don't know. It'll be it'll be tough. And That's the second time you dinged him up this year for a dad, isn't it? I've been listening. I know. It's it's brutal. Like Yeah, he has, he's, what is he? He's probably, like, minus 20 or something right now so i think he deserves to be a dud twice no doubt no doubt jay who do you got um my my dud of the week is uh, i'm going to detroit for this one uh dylan larkin you know i i was expecting big things from him this year uh there's a lot of reports about a big off season and you know he loves the ice and loves to be on it but i don't know if it's just that their team's not very good or anything but he has not had the year that anyone thought he would i don't think and and uh really a step down from where he's been the last couple seasons 
he should be available in all, all leagues right now. He should be looking for uh, – people should be looking to sell him. Yeah, you're taking a shot at, at someone in our league to sell him right now. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, oh, trade deadline's coming up. It's also good to mention that uh, Scott and I are playing each other this week in fantasy. So I'm surprised we even got this this interview with you. I thought you'd just give us the cold shoulder. I was thinking about it. Yeah, I got. I just got to put my lineup in tonight and uh... – I just don't really have time to do uh, interviews, so I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah, what's it like uh, following fantasy over in England because you're, you're the time change? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, I'm waking up and just getting the uh, surprise, you know, like Christmas morning, what happened the evening before. So, yeah, it's definitely different. It's weird, too, because sometimes they put the games in the next day because it's, it's technically in the next day. So, yeah, anyway, yeah, that's my problem. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Okay, well, I, unless, Matt, you have anything else, or Scott, if you want to share anything else, uh, I think that's a good spot to wrap it up. It's been actually really fun. Um, it's kind of weird talking to you when you're over in England when you were just here a few days ago, but i uh, excited to watch you over the next five weeks as you play your, your kind of mini-series um, in the EIHL. Uh, and we really look forward to probably having you back on down the road uh, for another appearance. Yeah, I really appreciate it, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I think what you guys are doing is really, really great. and I'm actually really enjoying listening. And I can't believe the top uh, end talent on the guests that you've had. And uh, keep that up. It's awesome. Yeah, hopefully that's just the start. And uh, we can keep bringing on some some pretty good current young NHL players. But, um, yeah, I think a must-listen a must listen episode would be if you guys matched up in your fantasy playoffs maybe down the road. We definitely have to bring you on for that. So. Yeah, it's a little little frustrating, but I'm not going to make one. <laughs> <laughs> Won't be this year, but maybe next. Yeah, and, totally uh, cool. yeah. yeah, so thanks for sitting down with us today. Uh, it was really fun. We, we really hope you enjoyed it, and we hope that our listeners at home uh, really enjoyed it too. Uh, please follow, like, subscribe. Um, you know, Follow us on, on Instagram at standingroomonly underscore pod. Um, we really appreciate it, and we're really having fun bringing you guys new content every week. Um, yeah we look forward to bringing you next week and we just wanted to wish you all a happy easter and uh we'll talk next week Bye.